Amen. Lord, that is our desire, that there would be less of us and more of you. Father God, just as John the Baptist said, I must decrease that you might increase. And Lord, we pray tonight, as we go to your word, that you minister to every heart that is here, that you would be our teacher. We're desperate for you, Lord. We want to know you better. We want to be conformed more to your image. We want to fall more in love with you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because you're going to need one. Raise your hand, and as I say every week, if you want to take that home with you, you can certainly do that, our gift to you. We want you to be in the Word more than just when you're here on Sunday and Wednesday night. Amen? All right. Uh, one other thing I will mention, it's a ways off, but I want to mention it because it, it was brought to my attention this week. Most of you know that we support Gospel for Asia big time. I think as a church total, with the church individually and then you guys as individuals, we, we support somewhere between 80 and 100 missionaries in India. And I was called this week, and I'm going to be going back again in October, as I've gone the last couple of Octobers. But this year is going to be kind of a unique opportunity for anybody else who might want to go with me, because they're going to be actually doing some construction helping rebuild some things. That's where, the, that's where the tsunami hit in the very state I was in last time. So we're going back to the same state. So be praying about that if you want to be involved in that. It's not going to be till October. It's, what, eight or nine months away. But start praying about it now and at least make you aware of it. And hopefully uh, we're joining with four other, I'm joining with three other Calvary Chapel pastors and hopefully with the four churches together and the four of us going, we can have a good group. During the day, I'll be off teaching uh, inductive Bible study to pastors, but... The other people that are there will be able to go and, and do whatever is, whatever is needed. So be praying about that. Okay, Deuteronomy 12. Title of the message tonight, One True Worship. One True Worship. Now, understand that Deuteronomy is a book that means the second law, the second giving of the law. Here, here is what is about to take place. They're about to enter into the land of promise. Moses has already found out he's not going to enter in because of his own rebellion when he smote the rock, when he should have spoken to it type of Christ, and he smote the rock. And the Lord said, you're not going to enter in because of what you have done. But Moses, praise God, that Moses still has a heart and a burden for the people. And so that entire generation that passed away in the wilderness as they wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience, and because they, they, when they initially the previous generation had the opportunity to go in and they didn't because there were giants in the land. So now that entire generation has died. That 11-day march turned into a 40-year death march. And what happened was that God weeded out that generation of unbelief. And now the next generation is about to enter in. And Moses, Deuteronomy is really one long continuous speech of of Moses just basically telling the next generation how they need to be prepared. Now he reminded them in the first ten chapters was all him just reminding them of things God had already done. How God had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. How He delivered them from their enemies. How He led them with the cloud and the pillar of fire. How He provided for them along the way. How He had opened up the Red Sea. But He also reminded them not only of God's blessings, but the disobedience of the previous generation. You remember that Moses went up on Mount Sinai after God spoke, literally audibly spoke to them. And they were so afraid, they said, Moses, you go up on the mountain, we can't talk to God anymore. If he talks to us again, we're all going to die, so you go talk to him and come back and tell us what he says, because we just can't take it. And Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments that had already been verbally spoken to the children of Israel, and while he's up there, they made a what? 
They made a golden calf, and they fell right back into idol worship. Imagine seeing the Red Sea parted. Imagine seeing the ten plagues that came upon Egypt. Imagine seeing God's mighty hand wiping out the Egyptian army. Imagine hearing God's audible voice from Mount Sinai, and then only days later making a golden calf. You look at that and you think, these people are thick, right? But at the same time, isn't that a picture of us? You know, God is so faithful and so gracious and so merciful and so loving, and yet we continue to walk in disobedience to Him. We continue to make decisions to do things contrary to His will, and I'm so glad that He's a gracious God. Sometimes we look at Sinai and what we see is God's righteous judgment because we do know the ground opened up and swallowed up some folks. But what I love to look at there is that God is faithful and merciful because all who came to Him... He continued to bless. And so as, each, as the generation passed on, that wasn't the last mistake they would make. As soon as they started wandering into the wilderness, headed toward the land of promise, that God was still going to take them to, they just started whining and moaning and complaining. Three million whiners, right? Moses pastoring the biggest church filled with whiners in the history of mankind. All of them whining and moaning and complaining and griping. And I'm surprised Moses didn't just say smoke them all, but he didn't. He loved them. And so they get there, and as I said, they were supposed to go into the land of promise, but because they were afraid of the giants in the land and didn't trust the word of God, they missed out on God's highest. And certainly that's a word for each of us. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our circumstances, we forget God's promises. God is as much in control when everything seems to be wrong in your life as He is when everything seems to be perfect. Your circumstances should not determine how you walk with God is. Amen? As a matter of fact, a lot of times it's the trials that get us more desperate for God and keep us where we need to be. So the first 10 chapters, he brings them up to speed. And in chapter 11 that we looked at a few weeks ago, that, that was where he talked to them about the blessings of walking in obedience to the Lord. He reminded them what God had done, but then he told them the promises God had for them. That he would prolong their days in the land of promise. That he would pour out blessings upon them. That he would at the same time righteously judge disobedience. And if they were faithful, that their children would be blessed, their families would be blessed, and he would do exceedingly abundantly above what they could even imagine or think. So he prepares them by saying, if you're obedient, God's going to bless you. And can I encourage you with something? I know sometimes we struggle and we think, man, that the Bible's a book of rules and things we can't do, but it's a love letter. And it's God's way of keeping us from harm. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God knows it will harm us and God wants to keep us from harm. So we come to chapter 12, and now he's telling them again. The first 10 chapters was him telling them what had happened. Chapter 11, he tells them the blessings of obedience. Now he's telling them, when you guys go in, here's the first thing you need to do. When you pass over into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, when you leave the desert behind, and you go into that wonderful place that I've prepared for you, I've got a plan of how you're to do things. And I want you to be able to worship me. But for you to be able to worship me, you must first do some things. And so he's going to talk to them about the true heart of worship. Now, as we come to this chapter, he's going to emphasize God's plan of worship. Just as there would be the temptation to follow the examples of the world, so too there would be the temptation to follow the examples of the world when it came to worship. It's very easy for us to look around at the world and follow their pattern. Let's face it, most of us are wearing the clothes we're wearing because we followed somebody's pattern. We saw something, right? We follow patterns all day long of the world around us. And there's a temptation to follow that pattern also in the way that we live, but also in the way that we worship. And God wanted to make it very clear to them that they were not to follow their pattern in worship. 
that they were not to, to do things outside of God's will. You know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can come to God any way we want. Does it say that anywhere in the Bible? Haven't you ever met anybody that says to me, I worship God in my own way? Ever heard that before? You know what? That's not what God said. You cannot worship God in your own way. It's God's way or no way. God literally would say it's my way or the highway. Amen? Now the good news is that God loves us and the way that he gives us is a way where he has done all the work. He did it. He paid the price. He suffered and died that you might have eternal life. He reaches out to you and desires to have intimate fellowship with you. And all you have to do is respond and say, yes, Lord. And so God has a plan, and we can't just do things our way. When we do, we mess up. I know when I do things my way, it doesn't turn out too good. How about you? Amen? Well, the Lord, you know, what does he know about 2005? Well, nothing. He just created the universe. Amen? But too often, I talk to people, and they're like, well, the Bible was written. Do you think that God who put the stars in the sky and wrote the Bible knew that you were going to be living and you're going to be going through what you're going through today? Of course he did. And the Bible is still for every one of us. God's plan for worship and sacrifice, we're going to see that tonight. It's a constant reminder of man's sinfulness, his need for redemption and atonement. It was set up to keep them separated from the world, and it was a foreshadow of that which is to come, the cross of Christ. And when you alter God's plan, you remove the significance behind it. When you alter God's plan in the way that you worship, you remove what worship is really all about. Now, I'm not just talking about praise. That's certainly a part of it. But I'm talking about having a life to worship God. So tonight, as we look at one true worship, we're going to see the place of worship, and then we're going to see the practice of worship. We're going to see the place of worship that we're not to worship the way the world does, but the way that God has commanded us to. And in the practice of worship, we're going to see what God has called us to offer, and again, that we're not to follow the pattern of the world. So beginning in verse 1, looking at the place of worship, we are not to worship where the world does. Verse 1, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. Now, statutes and judgments, a constant reminder that these are not the ten suggestions, right? These are not Moses' thoughts. You know, I think this might be really good for you. You might want to consider this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is the law. This is the word of God. God said this. This is not up for a vote. We're not negotiating on it. And yet you see that in the church today, don't you? You know, they'll say, well, whether, should we or should we not have homosexual pastors? Let's, let's vote. Have you read the Bible? Amen? If you read the Bible, we don't have to vote. Amen? Should I date that unbeliever? Well, let me think. Let me ask five of my friends. No, you don't have to ask anybody. People will ask me to pray for them about stuff that's in, I don't have to pray. We don't have to pray. I don't have to pray. God said not to. There's your answer. No. Amen? And so the word of God, these are laws and statutes. These are not opinions. Well, I think this might be good for your life. Well, the Bible's got a bunch of good stories in there. I hear people say that. This is the living, breathing word of God. Amen? It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And God gave it to us to cut through and open our eyes to the truth, open our hearts to the truth. The word statute is appointed, bound, commandment, law, ordinance. And the word judgment is a judicial verdict, a sentence, or formal decree. So again, this is not Moses' opinion. And then he says, be careful to observe these things when you go into the land which the Lord is giving you. Now, I love this because for God, it's already done. Do you understand that? They're not in the land yet, but God is already telling them when you go, this is what's going to happen. Can I tell you that in God's eyes, it's already done. You and I are going to heaven. If you know Jesus Christ, amen? 
Shouldn't that bring joy and peace to your heart? It's a done deal. I used to say that a lot of where people walking around, going to heaven, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's beside the point. Yeah, hey, when you're going to heaven, it puts everything else in perspective, amen? And so I'm so thankful that God's word is a promise. It's a done deal. It's finished. It's done. And so he says to them, when you go in, be careful to observe the commandments that I have given you. Again, they had not defeated a single enemy. They had not taken one step into the land. And he's already telling them the promises. Again, God's sovereignty sees the future as already accomplished. Faith has been described as substance of things in the Word of God as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And again, he instructed Israel to fear and love God, and now he gives details on how they're to go in and, and live in that land of promise, how they're to live lives dedicated to the Lord, because there's still, though they go into the land of promise, there's still going to be temptation. Now, those of you have been coming any length of time, we've talked about this. Egypt is a type of what? The world. And they were delivered out of Egypt, passing over the Red Sea, a type or a picture of water baptism, okay? And now you've been born again, you've given your life to the Lord, and now they're headed to the land of promise. Okay, they're walking through the wilderness, they've given their life to God, a picture for us. But then crossing over the Jordan River is a type or a picture of the what? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And stepping into that fullness of life. Now, we see here that God has a greater plan. He's delivered them out of bondage, but yet He has so much more for them. And too many Christians are caught between the Red Sea and the Jordan. Too many Christians have been delivered from sin, but they're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and they're missing out on all God has for them. And they don't have the joy of the Lord, and they don't have the fruit of the Holy Spirit as evident in their life as it should be. And so this picture that we see here is he's preparing them to enter into the land of promise. But understand, when they get there, there's still going to be enemies waiting. And when you've been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, there's still enemies waiting. There's still trials coming. It's not the cruise ship to heaven. It is literally a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. And so to protect and direct them as they were about to go into this land flowing with milk and honey, and it's good to note that sometimes incredible blessing can be a great stumbling block. Sometimes people get so blessed that they start trusting in themselves. Got a lot of money in the bank, I'm doing well, I got my career, kids are healthy, everything's wonderful, and I trust in me. Instead of being desperate for God. And God desires that we be desperate for Him always. So God's commands was to both bless them and to protect them. While trials often produce desperation, blessings can produce complacency. So he's telling them, okay guys, you're getting ready to go in, let me prepare you. And I want you to see that tonight a lot of what he's going to tell them is very practical. And it's very practical for you and I. Verse 2. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. On the high mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. So you shall utterly destroy all the places. When you go into the land I've given you, and look, another promise, and when you wipe out all those nations that are there, the ones that your parents were afraid of, the ones that said, ooh, giants of the land, ooh, we're like grasshoppers run away, right? You're going to go in and take care of them, but when you get there, I want you to know that once you take care of them, you're not done. Because what you need to do next is you need to tear down all the idols, and you need to wipe out the places where they worshipped completely. Now, why did he tell them this? What did Israel have a tendency to do? Worship idols. And he said, you know what, guys? You cannot take the temptation, so when you get in there, just remove them completely. Don't keep them for, oh, I remember when those pagans used to worship there. No, don't do that. Wipe it out completely. 
utterly destroy it. Make sure you destroy the places where the Canaanites worship their false gods. You know what? Before we can fully worship God, there must be some places where we no longer worship. Hear what I said? Before you can fully worship God, there must be some places you can no longer worship. You know, there's a practice in the ancient world, because buildings weren't real prevalent, that when there was a nice building, such as a temple, when they would conquer somebody, they would just take the temple from a previous god and worship their god in that temple. And God didn't want anything to do with that. God said, you know what? No. Those are false gods that don't even exist. They're blocks of wood. Okay? They're false gods. You destroy it. Now understand that the gods that were served by the Canaanites out in these shady groves, what was a prevalent part of their worship was sexual immorality. They had prostitutes. It was out of control. And he said, you know what? You need to go out and level that place. You need to wipe out the shady grove. You need to wipe out the trees they worshipped under. And you need to take the idols and destroy them completely. He said, because if you leave them there, you're going to be tempted to fall into the same trap that they did. You know what? This is often where worship of many is corrupted. It isn't that they worship too little, but that they worship too much. They worship the Lord and something else. God doesn't want us to worship anything but Him. The Bible tells us He is a jealous God. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord is a jealous God. God doesn't want want part of our worship. It's an abomination to Him to share His throne with somebody else or something else. It can't be God on the throne and your career. God on the throne and your physique. God on the throne and your desire for money. God on the throne and your favorite pet sin. God on the throne and anything else. And he says to them very clearly, when you go in, I want you to wipe it out completely because you cannot focus all of your passion on me until you remove the very thing that is going to take your eyes off of me. And that's so true for each one of us. God created you to worship him and to have fellowship with him. That's it. Why did God create you? To worship Him and have fellowship with Him. And so what were we created for? And what will keep us from what we were created to do? He will not share His throne or His kids, you and I, with anybody. And again, one of the greatest struggles in the world today among believers is tempting to pursue God and the things of the world at the same time. The Bible says friendship with the world is what? Enmity, or the enemy, in another word, of God. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And if you're a friend of God, you will be an enemy of the world. Now, does that mean we go around hating the world? No. We have a burden for the lost. We, we, we reach out to them. We're not self-righteous. But at the same time, this is not our home. Amen? And we need to live like it's not our home. You know what? When I go camping, which I never do, but if I did go camping, <laughs> if I did go camping, I wouldn't spend, you know, six months putting my tent up and making sure it was all Santa because in a couple days I'm taking it down, Right? And yet, with this world sometimes, we're so passionate about making the things of this world perfect that we don't even have time to spend with the Lord, which is really what's eternal anyway, amen? And so he tells them, guys, when you go in, wipe out the stuff that's going to get your eyes off of me, because the only thing that matters is your relationship with the Lord. You cannot serve two masters. As Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? You've got to serve somebody, right? It's going to be the devil or it's going to be the Lord. You've got to serve somebody. Now, recently I was told this. And it was, it, I thought it was pretty funny, so I'll tell you. You might not think it's funny, but uh, somebody told me that a couple was visiting our church for a few weeks, and they stopped coming, and they said they stopped coming because we're way, into God, way too far into God over there. Man, they're just way into God over there. They're like serious, like God is the only thing that matters. Let me tell you right now, God is the only thing that matters. <laughs> Amen? 
I'm not, you know, and you might say, well, hey, if this is, if you want a church where God's, you know, 14th on the list, go somewhere else, amen? Because you know what? It's Jesus Christ. That's what, he is my life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That doesn't mean Christ is first in my life. It means he's first, he's 10th, he's 100th, and he's every number in between. And God's heart for Israel was go in there, make me first, get everything out of the way. Take everything else down that will distract you and take your eyes off of me. God is all that matters. And we must remove anything that will get in the way of him. Again, we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And if they did not destroy the pagan idol worshiping places, they would fall right back into the same trap. And again, he says they're on the high mountains and on the hills. And since much of pagan worship, again, was off in a hidden away place, they were called to go out and just wipe those places out so that they might not be tempted to put them back together again, to remove them, never to speak of them again, not to worship the creation, but to worship the creator. Do people in Santa Cruz need to hear that? Amen? You know what? We don't worship trees. I don't. How about you? Amen? It's a tree. Okay? My God created them. And you know, people worship stars and trees and bugs and everything else under the sun. And the reality is, again, that we are to be good stewards of this planet. But I don't worship this planet. I worship the Creator because this is going to be alternative toast before it's over anyway. Amen? So praise God. And so he says here, look, go out and wipe out those places. Verse 3. And you shall destroy all their altars, break their sacred pillars, burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. Again, the idols were not to be boxed up and stored away. They were not to be taken as trophies. They're not to be put on display as what once was. But they were to be completely destroyed, burned with fire. Interestingly enough, the fate of those who worshipped these idols was the same. Burned with fire in the end. Amen? And then he says, destroy even their names. Why? Because if they left them, God knew again that they would be curious. The pagans in the land would continue to congregate after a while, right? Some of the pagans who survived at that place was still there. Before you know it, they'd be back out there worshiping. And they'd start inviting some of the Israelites out there with them. Why don't you come on out here? You should see what our God does. Our local God here, man, he's pretty awesome. You know, you go to the guys, yeah, there's a bunch of women out there that'll sleep with you if you worship our God. Well, where, where's this at, right? And that's what happens, unfortunately, because, you know, if we don't wipe it out, the temptation's going to be to fall back into the trap. Now, there's such a clear picture for you and I today that we see the reason repeatedly that Israel fell back into captivity over and over again was they fell into idol worship. And the reason that you and I struggle in our walk with God is we repeat the same sins over and over again. Is that true or not? And you know what happens? Is we, instead of eradicating the temptation and removing those things that will tempt us too often, we want to leave it there so it's available whenever we want it to be. Instead of saying, you know what, I struggle with pornography on the internet, I'm ripping my computer out of my house. Well, I can't do that because I need it for, no, you don't need it that bad. If you're right, I offend you, pluck it out, the Bible says. Amen? Pluck it out. Take it away. If you struggle with alcohol, don't have alcohol in your house and don't live two doors down from a liquor store. Amen? If you're struggling with sexual immorality, don't have your girlfriend at your house by yourself. Amen? You take whatever measure is necessary to avoid sin. And he says, remove the idols. Don't keep them there. Don't hang on to them. Don't pretend like it's not a problem. Anything that becomes between you and God is an idol. And again, Israel found idol worship over and over and over. 
And we often think that the idols have to be like the 60-foot-tall monkey I told you about in India, driving down the road, six-story-tall monkey on the side of the road, thousands of people worshiping it. And it's by the grace of God there were security guards there. I would have went in there and knocked out. Anybody got a sledgehammer? I mean, it just frustrates you to see people worshiping a dead God. I wanted to take a sledgehammer to it just so, now, okay, see what your God's going to do about it, right? What can he do? Nothing. It's a block of wood. You made it. Now you're worshiping it. Help, help me out with that, right? Imagine making a Buick and then worshiping it. I mean, it's the same thing, right? And they're worshiping this thing that was made with hands. And so he's telling them, look, avoid the idols, wipe them out. And for you and I, our idols can be probably not statues, but are probably our career or relationships or friendships or sin we won't let go of, or personal pleasure, or comfort, they can all become idols. And you know what? You can even go to church with the wrong motive. You can come here to get entertained, or you can come to church, you know, to find people that, you know, to build relationships or whatever, and those things are okay, but you need to be here to worship the Lord. Amen? You need to show up on Sunday and say, man, I love God, and I want to know Him better, and I want to hear His Word being taught, and I want to use the gifts God's given me and minister to others. We should be drawn together out of our oneness in Christ. Verse 4. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. You know what? We're not to worship where the world does, and we're not to worship the way that the world does. Now, there's a trend in the church today to let's be more like the world so we can be worldly friendly. Let's do what the world does so when people come, they'll feel really comfortable at our church because it'll feel like the world to them. Let's make it like going to a movie. Let's put up big screens and, you know, let's make the message down to about eight minutes and let's have sermonettes for Christianettes and all that kind of stuff, right? And let's just make it really comfortable for the world. Can I tell you something? If you go to church, if there's a church that you could go to where a sinner would sit through a message and be comfortable, you need to go somewhere else. Because conviction leads to conversion, amen? And, with that, and if we don't see we're sinners, we'll never see a need for a Savior. And, the, you know, the whole seeker-sensitive movement today is, well, man, dial it all down. Don't talk about sin. They might not come back and make people feel really comfortable at church. Weak. Can you imagine John the Baptist pastoring one of those churches? How about the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine? Let's talk about three ways to overcome your anger. Count backward from 10 and, you know, what is that noise, right? I mean, people are coming because they need to know God in a personal and an intimate way. And that's what it's all about, amen? And so we see here, he says, look, don't worship like they do and don't try to become like the world. And don't use the world's stuff to reach people for God. You know what? God's good enough to reach him on his own, amen? Does he need the world's help? No. God's greater than, than any marketing plan you can come up with. How about this? How about if we all fall in love with the Lord and we're so excited about Him that we become contagious and we reach the lost and dying world for Jesus Christ? How about a marketing plan like that, amen? You get so on fire for God that you start being contagious to the world around you. He said, don't mimic the world. Pursue God. Don't keep the idols. Wipe them out. And so the first thing he says there again is, again, not to worship like them, not to fall into the same trap. Don't try to be like the world. And the same should be true in our homes. There must be no room for the world in our houses. Compromise leads to heartache. We need to tear down the high places before we fall before them. The internet, TV, alcohol, DVDs, music, whatever it is. Whatever your struggle is, get rid of it. Destroy them before they destroy your walk. The Bible says to flee youthful lust. And as you cleanse your home and cleanse your heart, God will use you in a mighty way and you'll be able to truly worship Him like you never have before. 
Do you know that sin hinders worship? Do you know that hanging on to things of the world hinders worship? You want to worship God? Get rid of the stuff that doesn't honor Him. And you know what? You won't miss it. Your flesh might, but your spirit won't. And you know what? Your flesh, you'll get over it if you'll just get in love with the Lord. So now he says, he told them where not to worship. Now he's going to tell them where to worship. And he's going to talk about what real worship is. By the way, real worship pleases God. It's not about pleasing you. Amen? We worship to glorify Him, not to glorify me. Amen? And too often people go to worship and they want to worship in a way that, oh, I just had to, oh, I just felt so good. Who cares? You know, hey, stop for a second. Was God glorified? Was He lifted up? Was He magnified? Were you drawn closer to Him? Or was it some experience that gave you the weebie-jeebies and you walked out and you have no idea how it impacted your walk with the Lord? Worship is to magnify and glorify one, Him. Amen? When we sing, we sing to an audience of one. And there needs to be no focus on us and all of the focus on Him. Verse 5. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put His name for His dwelling place and there you shall go. So there is a place God wants you to worship. Do you know that? There's a place God wants you to worship. I absolutely believe that God has a place for you to be in fellowship, specifically for you. I absolutely believe that. And I'm not saying for all of you that it's here. For many of you, it may be here. This is your church home, praise the Lord. But for some of you, maybe you're visiting and maybe God has another place for you. But wherever God wants you to be, God is going to use you there. It's not just a place where you're going to get fed, but a place where you're going to feed and minister to others as well. And so God has a place, and in this case, He had a place for the children of Israel. And He said, you go to the place that I have for you. Don't fall into the trap of going your own way or trying to create your own path. And again, we can't worship God in our own way. And again, it cracks me up. I worship God in my own way. I worship God on the golf course every Sunday. I've heard that many times. It's just, it's so serene out there. Why I'm hitting my golf ball, I'm worshiping God. No, you're not. Stop it, right? The God of ping, what God are you talking about, right? You're not worshiping God. You know, you're worshiping you. It's all about your joy. Now, is it playing golf wrong? No, golf's great. That's fun. Go enjoy it. But don't put golf in front of God, amen? And don't pretend like that's your time of worship. Now, you can go with three other brothers and it's going to be a great time of fellowship. But you need to worship God in the place that God has called you to worship, and that is in church. Amen? Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. God chooses where and how they were to worship, and they were to simply obey Him. And again, it's something that happens more and more today where people say, well, I don't need to go to church anymore. Because, you know, me and God got a special arrangement, and, you know, I went for a long time, and, you know, now I just worship at home. You know what? Show me a verse in the Bible that says that you should do that. Forsake not the gathering of yourselves together, period. That's the Bible. You want to be on God's side or, you know, the Word of God on your side or your own opinion. Amen? And so we need to be in fellowship. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on Wednesday night. Amen? And God bless you. But it's so important that we remember that that's where we grow is when we're in fellowship. It says, There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and there you shall rejoice in all which you have put in your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, once you get to the place where God has for you, He has things He wants to do with you once you're there. And and if you were here when we went through Leviticus and Exodus, you saw what every one of these offerings was about. We don't have time to go into them all tonight, but I want to say this. 
First thing he says is burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the place where you worship needs to be a place where you come because of the atoning work of Christ. It needs to be a place where you can come with a heart of confession. And it needs to be a place where you can come and be cleansed. Now, we can do that at home, amen? Can you ask God to forgive you for your sin at home? You ought to be. Don't wait till Sunday and Wednesday, amen? You ought to be doing that constantly. But also, this should be a place where you come and you worship God because of the work of the cross. It's a place where you come and we observe communion on Sundays. It's a place where you come and you, are, and you realize, again, that you've been cleansed of your sin. And it brings you to a place of repentance by reading the Word of God. And you're instructed and you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So it isn't just coming to a place, but it's coming to a place where you know God is going to do things in your heart. And what he says there first is a, to bring their burnt offerings and their sacrifices. The place of worship is a place of atonement, confession, and cleansing. Now, how did they, how did they confess their sins back then? When they brought an animal in to be sacrificed, what did they do? They laid their hand on the head of the animal. Remember this? And they confessed their sin. And then the animal took the place of the person confessing, and its throat was slit, and its blood was shed, and what did that tell that sinner? Whoa, sin comes at a heavy price. Man, that's what I deserve, and this poor innocent animal took my place. Who's that a picture of? Jesus. And so every time they went to that place of sacrifice, it was a reminder of their own sin. It was a place of confessing their sin, and again, it was a place of realizing they can be cleansed, that they will put their faith in Almighty God. And the coming Messiah. That's what happens when we come to the place where God has called us to be. He also says to bring their tithes and offerings. Now, if you've been here more than once, you know that I don't talk about, get, we don't even pass an offering in this church. Why don't we? Because I don't want anybody to ever come in here and think that Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is about money. We're not. My father has a cattle on a thousand hills where God guides, God provides. Amen? Now, at the same time, it is an act of worship for us to give in the place where we worship. Amen? The reason that we are able to have church on Sunday and Wednesday, the reason we're able to be on the radio, the reason we're able to support missionaries, the reason we're able to have pastors full-time, the reason we're able to do all the things that we do ministry-wise is because people are faithful to give. And he says, you go to the place where I have for you, and that's the place where you will make sacrifice. It's the place where you'll confess. It's the place where you'll be atoned for. It's the place where you've been cleansed, but it's also the place where you give. So we come to church on Sunday to receive, to grow, to be ministered to, but also to give. Amen? You know what's a really healthy church? is when people come in, and I can tell you, I want to encourage you with this. The num- one of the number one compliments we get about our church is that, man, the people at your church are so friendly and so outgoing and so loving and made me feel welcome the first time I came. And you know what? That ought to be happening in the body of Christ. Amen? And that's not going to happen. As our, if you come on Sundays now, it's getting to be a lot more people. And you know, I used to chase every new person down. And some of you, when you were new, you'll testify to that. Amen? I chased some of you out into the parking lot. Oh, you know, right? But I do it because I want to know you. I want to know your name. I want to get to know you. Well, as the church keeps getting bigger and bigger, and people run out of the back door faster and faster, then, you know, you guys need to reach out to people too. Amen? We need to all come using the gifts that God has given us to reach out to those around us. Coming to give and bless others, not just to receive and be ministered to. Verse 8. You shall not do... You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what was right in his own eyes. You know, this is a common theme. This is a common theme about the children of Israel, that they were doing what was right in their own eyes. You see it repeatedly. 
You know, right before they went into Babylonian captivity, it says, and they were all doing what was right in their own eyes, and they got taken off into captivity. And too often, we're doing what is right in our own eyes, and then the consequences come, and we want to blame God. We forget God until we're in trouble. I've told you this before. You know, some people will say, yeah, the only time I pray is when I'm going through difficulty. Man, I've been going through a tough time. A lot of tough times. I'm like, well, that's because God misses you. Amen? If the only time you pray is through difficulty, get ready for the difficulty, right? Because the Lord does want to draw you back into fellowship with himself. And so real worship is not what pleases you, but what pleases God. He says, you don't do as they're doing here today. When they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel had fallen away from true worship. They were making sacrifices wherever they wanted to. They weren't coming to to the tabernacle the way they were supposed to. They had totally missed God. He said, you know what? When we get into the land of promise, all that's going to stop. We're going to get back to a place of true worship. We're not going to do as we've been doing in the wilderness. We saw how that worked out. We're going to get back to putting God first. You know, that's a message for some of us tonight. We need to get back to putting God first. Amen? God is the most important thing. Amen? He is. You know what? The best thing I can do for my wife is love God more than anything. Because if I do, I will be a godly husband. And I will love my wife. And I will minister to my wife. And I will minister to my kids. The best thing I can do for when I was working full time for my boss is be in love with God above all else because then I'll be the best employee in the building. Because I'll do my job as unto the Lord. So when you put God first, it blesses everybody else. Amen? And so that's God's heart and God's design and God's plan. Verse 9. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. All that God had for them, that spirit-filled life, was still in front of them. They hadn't entered into it yet. God had more for them. And maybe you're here tonight and God has so much more for you. Verse 10. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and He gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety... Then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all the choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. The place where the Lord chooses would be the tabernacle. And when they entered into the Jordan, they crossed over into the highest that God had for them. They were to come to the tabernacle. You know what? How often did they make offerings when they were in the wilderness? Every day and every night. Why? Because he wanted them to remember him always. You know what, guys? We need to wake up in the morning and pray. We need to go to bed at night and pray. We need to open up the Word of God every day. We need to spend time with him daily, not just once in a while. You want to grow? Feed on the Word of God more. And so he's telling them the same thing, that look, when you go into the land that I'm giving you, and I'm going to deliver you from your enemies, and you're going to dwell in safety, and when we get there, you need to get back to putting me first. And you need to not have this sporadic worship like you once, ta- once had, but now you need to bring all the offerings to the place of worship, the place that I have set up, and you bring them there every time you're called to do it, which would be a constant reminder of their desperate need for God. Why is it important that we be in church once, twice, three times a week? Why? It's a constant reminder of what life is all about. It's a constant opportunity for us to use our gifts. It's a constant opportunity for us to be fed and grow. You know what? We sit at home, we watch TV, and we're influenced by it. We go out to work, and we're influenced by the world. So often we need to set, step away from that and be influenced by God. Amen? And have time we're only hearing from Him and only focused on Him. And the Lord is speaking directly to our hearts. 
That spirit-filled life would be a consistent, God-centered place of worship. A place where they'd be in God's presence. You know what? You don't have to coax somebody that is filled with the Spirit of the living God to come to church. You don't. You know, someone was asking me, to, earlier today I was talking about this, how often we think, well, I need more counseling, I need more of this, or I need more of that. Can I tell you that the wives that come up to me and say, man, my husband has radically changed and our marriage is awesome, is nine times out of ten, somebody I've never counseled with one time. It's just somebody who started coming to church and fell in love with God and her life was radically changed. You want to have a better marriage? Be in fellowship more. You want to be a better dad and mom? Be in fellowship more. You want to be more sold out witness at work? Be in fellowship more because you know what's going to happen? Your life is going to change. And it's not going to be a have to, but a get to. And no one have to coax you to do anything. When the spirit of living God is inside of you, it's going to change the way you do everything in life. And he's saying that to these guys. Look, when you come in, you come into fellowship. And you constantly come in to make your sacrifices in the place that I have appointed to you. Verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. So you, re- you shall rejoice before the Lord. Now, you know what that is? That's a command. He commands you to re- rejoice. Anybody struggle with that? He commands you, be happy. Have joy, right? But that's a command from God. And so, as Christians, we should not be walking around looking like we just sucked on a lemon. Amen? Oh, yeah, born again, going to heaven, praise the Lord, right? Yep, yeah, oh, man, I want to know your God, right? I mean, there should be joy. The Bible says in Galatians that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, right? That joy is content. People see it and go, what's up with you, man? It's Jesus. Amen? And if we walk around looking like someone just ran over our puppy all the time, You know, no one's going to want anything to do with the God that we serve. Amen? And especially if you have joy in the midst of difficulty. True worship should always be marked with joy. So another component of true worship, along with atonement, confession, cleansing, giving, fellowship, is joy, rejoicing. That should be a part of the life of an everyday believer because it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know what? When we have joy, we won't worship God halfway. You know, when people worship God halfway, why? Because they've lost their joy. Why have they lost their joy? Because they've got their eyes on their circumstances instead of on their Savior. When you have your eyes on Jesus, the storm can be kicking up like it was with the apostles, and they were all wigging out, remember that? The Lord said, get in the boat, I'm taking the other side. They get in the boat, he's taking a nap, and the storm came up, right? And they woke him up, don't you care, we're all going to die. And he just kind of looked at him like, oh, ye of little faith. He got up and said, be still. The storm went, right? I told you we were going to the other side, why don't you just relax? Amen? God has promised us. And so we should, in the midst of circumstances, keep our eyes on the Savior and not on the storm. If they'd been looking at the Lord, they'd have been napping instead of whining. Amen? They looked at the Lord. Oh, he's not worried. Why should I be? Amen? And so true in our walk, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus instead of panicking like the world does. And you know what it says in that verse? Our joy should be seen by our sons and daughters. Our joy should be seen by everybody in our household. It should be evident not just at church on Sunday. Amen? Not screaming at each other as you're pulling into the parking lot. And get out of your car. Praise the Lord, brother. God bless you. Right? Put on the Christian face. You know? Right? I, it cracks me. I go on sales calls. Guy would be cussing up a storm. He'd find out I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. And they go, me too. Praise the Lord, brother. God bless you. Right? Where, where did you come from? Right? 
that should be who we are all the time, and that joy should be evident at home. That joy should be evident with our kids. That joy should be evident at work, not just the praise of the Lord, hallelujah, brother, when you walk into the VHM on Sunday and Wednesday, amen? That should be who we are 24 hours a day, all of the time. And he says there also to provide for the Levites. Don't have time, but who are the Levites? They were the what tribe? The what tribe? The priestly tribe. They were the ones who full-time served in ministry. And they didn't have an inheritance, so the people that they ministered to were to provide for their needs so they could do ministry full-time. Kind of like you guys do with the pastors that are here full-time. You guys provide so that we might be able to study and pray and minister to you full-time. And that's what he says here with the Levites. Verse 13 and 14. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes there shall be you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. They were to be in one place, in the tabernacle where God's glory dwelt. Again, get the tapes if you want to, but remember, the tabernacle is such an awesome picture of Jesus. From every hanging on the wall, from every piece of cloth, from everything that the priest wore, when they came in and they sprinkled the blood on the four points, picturing the four points of the cross, the four points of the altar. It was a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb. Jesus came, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he went into the holy of holies, there were cherubim on each side. They sprinkled the blood in the middle and the, and the mercy seat. The mercy seat was covering the law, just as the blood of Christ covers the law that reveals our sin and his mercy. And when you would look in the Holy of Holies, you saw angels on both ends and blood in the middle. And when they walked into the tomb, what did they see? At the foot and at the head of where Jesus laid were angels. And what was in the middle? The blood-stained linen cloth. I mean, a clear picture of Jesus over and over and over in the tabernacle. And that's why he said, you must worship there. Because that is the place that's a picture of the one who is going to come and be the one who forgives you of your sin. If you go worship somewhere else, it ruins the picture. And it's like you're worshiping something other than Christ. You must worship where I say. Now, they didn't fully understand it then. They didn't grasp the Messiah, right, completely. They didn't get it. But God said, do it because I told you. And you know what? God would say the same to each one of us. So one true worship, we've seen the place of worship. Now let's look at the practice of worship. Verse 15. However, you may slaughter and eat meat. And I like that. You read that? You may slaughter and eat meat. That's good. Praise the Lord. You may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which is given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Now, he's not saying they can eat clean and unclean animals. He's saying the clean and unclean people. If you were here in Leviticus, remember people could be made unclean. How were they made unclean? They could be ceremonially unclean by touching something, a flow of blood, different things, right? And he's saying they can eat the meat that is Within their, they can sacrifice within their own gates and they can eat it. But what he's telling them is that's not worship. As we move on here, he's saying, you know, when you barbecue, that's not worship. I'm having a barbecue, worshiping the Lord over here, having some steaks, right? He's saying, no, if it's worship, then you need to go to the place of worship. And you need to bring the sacrifice with you and offer it there. Then it's worship. But if you do it in your home, it's a barbecue, right? And that's what he's telling the children of Israel. They're able to eat the meat at home, but it was not a sacrifice unless it was the right animal in the right place. Verse 16. Only you shall eat, shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. The, it says repeatedly in the Bible that the life is in the blood. 
and the blood was to be poured out wherever they butchered the animal on the ground. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was poured out for us. They were never to eat the blood with the meat. They were always to pour it out. Again, it was God's command to them. They may have not fully understood it, but they needed to obey. Verse 17 and 18. You may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain, or your new wine or your oil, or the firstborn of the herd of your flock, or any of your offerings which you vow, or your freewill offerings, or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God, in the place where the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all, in all to which you put in your hands. When you make sacrifice, you can't do that at home. He says, when you make sacrifice, you need to go to the place of worship. When you make sacrifice, you must go to the place where the priests are. You must bring the animal. It must be inspected. It must be killed there. Now, many of the sacrifices, a portion of it was offered to the Lord, and a portion of it was eaten by the person who made the sacrifice. And so I love this, that he says, you take your family with you. He's saying, take your family to church. Right? When you go make sacrifice, bring your sons, bring your daughters, bring, your, bring everybody with you from your house and go down there and make the sacrifice and offer it up together and eat of it together. So what I love about this is that when they went to the place of fellowship, they both made sacrifice and they worshiped and ministered to the Lord, but they were also fed themselves. And we come to church on Sunday and Wednesday, we come here to worship and honor the Lord and sing praises to Him, but also to be fed ourselves. Amen? Don't you love the Bible? It rocks, amen? I mean, it's in there for a reason. And I love the fact that when they went, that this was the place of worship. It was a place that God had commanded. And God brought them together, this place of sacrifice. Again, all witnessing together. The kids, can you imagine the kids? Daddy, why are they killing the lamb? Right? Daddy, what, why the little lamb, what did the little lamb do? Daddy, why are you confessing that you, you yelled at mommy on the head of that lamb when they're cutting his throat? What's up with that, Dad? It was an opportunity to show them that there were sinners in need of a Savior. They were sinners in need of a sacrifice. Amen? So they were to bring their whole family, just as we are to bring our whole family, to a place of worship and knowing God. Verse 19. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. Again, provide for those who are in ministry full time. Verse 20. When the Lord your God enlarges your border as He promises you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat. You may eat meat, as much meat as your heart desires. This guy was on the Atkins diet 30, you know, 3,500 years ago. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name too, is too far from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I commanded you, and you may eat within the gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. So again, the clean and unclean person may eat any clean animal and any wild animal. They were not to eat unclean animals. Okay, they were, eat, they were able to eat clean animals and wild animals. Wild prey like gazelles and deers, okay? And so, in the land flowing with milk and honey, as their blessings increased, they were able to eat as much meat as they wanted. Verse 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life, and you may not eat the blood with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. Again, he repeats it to make it very clear. Don't eat the blood. The life is in the blood. Drain the blood. Pour it out. Again, a picture of the Lord. 
In Leviticus 17, it says, it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. You know what's interesting? It says the life is in the blood. And isn't it interesting that with one drop of blood, you can find out someone's DNA, and you can determine the difference in life, and the life is in the blood. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? And again, this is written thousands of years ago, right? Long before anybody knew anything about DNA. Amen? But God's word is perfect. Verse 25. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you, your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. When we obey God's, when we obey God's command, it results in blessing. Disobedient brings righteous judgment. Sin has consequences and obedience has blessings. You want to you have a blessed walk with God? Obey Him. What's the highest form of worship? It's obedience. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is to say, God, I trust you and I'm going to do what you say because you're a faithful God. Verse 26 and 27. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place where the Lord chooses. You shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Again, all sacrifices had to be offered at the altar and the blood was sprinkled on the altar and the blood was placed on the four horns on the altar because it was a type of Christ. Every time they made a blood sacrifice that was an actual sacrifice, it had to go take place in the place that God commanded because that was the place that pictured the Lord. Verse 28, Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you, your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Obedience to God's commands. Now what commands is he talking about in this verse? To destroy all the high places. You destroy the high places, it will bless your family. You take that internet with the pornography out of your house, it will bless your family. You get rid of those TV channels that you know are no good, it will bless your family. You take those, that music in your house you shouldn't be listening to, it doesn't honor God, it will bless your family. You know what? When you honor God, it will bless you, it will help you grow, and it will bless those that are in your house. And that's what he's telling them here. It'll bless the generations after you if you will simply be obedient to the Lord. Again, for you and I today, if we remove the high places and the false idols, anything that causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus, and we're faithful, God will do great and awesome things with us and even with our children as well. It will go well with you and your children as obedience produces blessing. Lastly, the practice of worship. Do not follow the pattern of the world. When the Lord your God cuts off, cuts off from before you the nations, verse 29, which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in the land, take heed to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. So the nations, there were seven nations in Canaan, and he tells them again, when you take care of them. He's promising them what will already be done. But then he says, do not inquire after their gods. God commanded Israel to guard itself against the sinful curiosity of wondering how others worship. Israel's time in Egypt taught them that each nation had their own gods. They could have gone in and said, I wonder what the Canaanite gods were like. And if they left the idols up, they would fall into the trap of inquiring after those gods, and before you knew it, they would be following them. You know what? Not unlike those today... That'll tell you, well, maybe Jesus is the God of America. And Muhammad is the God of these nations. And maybe Buddhism is the way for these people. And You ever met anybody like that? Maybe that's the God of the, of the Orient. Do you know where Jesus lived? 
Hello. It was in the Orient. Okay. But you know what? People will tell you stuff like that, and, maybe they're, and they think maybe there's just a bunch of different gods for each different nation. And there was a trap that they could fall into going into this land to think, well, maybe, let me find out about the God of this nation. There is only one God. Amen? And there are no other gods, and the rest of it is just a distraction to take your eyes off the true and living God. And he says, wipe them all out, have nothing to do with them, or they'll take your eyes off of the Lord. You know what? I want to say this too. We're almost done here. I want to say this. God's command to Israel was not to just destroy the idols, but don't even investigate their practices. And here's the application for you. Don't have anything to do with false religions. You know what? Do I need to go out and study every false religion? Now, some people are called to to apologetics, and that's wonderful, to be able to share your faith. But do you need to go out and spend your time studying false religions? No, you don't. You know why? Because if you know the true and living God, the rest of it will take care of itself. Amen? I don't have to read the Pearl of Great Price from the Mormon Church. Never read it, and it ain't going to happen. Right? I got this one to read. How about you? Amen? We start spending enough time in here. And again, apologetics is great. We need those in the faith and understand Mormonism and things like that. But for every minute you spend studying something like that, you better spend a hundred studying this. Amen? And he's telling them, don't get caught up in the way they worship and the way they serve and the things that they do. Simply know the truth. Don't have anything to do don't, with these false religions. Don't study all the false gods. Simply know the truth. Quickly, what happened when I, my wife and I went to Mexico, some of you are wondering why I'm a little darker than I used to be. My wife and I went to Mexico for our 20th anniversary, and it was warm. But what was neat was, it was one of these places where they have these waiters that come by, and I don't drink alcohol at all, neither does my wife. And they bring by, you know, I, I, he knew, Mr. Johnston, he bring me the Mondo Coke, like the biggest Coke you can make with a bunch of ice, right? And he'd bring these things by, you know, 25 times while I'm sitting out there in the sun. Well, our last, second to last day there, he, he, you know, he's got a big tray full of drinks, right? He brings me my Coke and hands it to me, and I grab this thing, and I take a big old swig, right? And I went, oh, right? Coke doesn't burn like that, right? I said, what in the world? Now, let me, it was rum and Coke. Now, I don't drink alcohol, okay? And I've never had a rum and Coke in my life. But I didn't have to go and drink every alcoholic drink to understand that wasn't Coke, Right? I took a sip. Oh, that burned. That's not, that ain't it. I don't, I don't want that, right? And the same is true, you know? Sometimes we, we, we think, oh, we gotta go, I'm going to go chase every alcoholic beverage so I'll be able to recognize them if I accidentally drink one again. No, you don't need to do that. Amen? And we don't have to go out and check out every false religion in the world so I can recognize it when I see it. Just know the truth, and when, the lie co- when I drink a sip, nobody had to tell me. That ain't Coke. That, I know what that is. That burns, right? That ain't good. I don't want that. Take that away from me, right? And the same is true for us in our walk with the Lord. Know the Lord, and when somebody comes along portraying themselves, portraying themselves to be God, or portraying it to be from God, and you'll reckon, that ain't God, because I know God. Amen? And that's not Him. Last two verses. You shall not worship the Lord your God in, the way, in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which He hates, they have done to, of their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. One of the most prevalent gods in Canaan was a god by the name of Molech. And what they did is they, it was a god made of iron. And they would heat this god up. And it had stretched out arms. And what they would do is that because they were caught up in sexual immorality and there was all these unwanted pregnancies, they would take babies and they would put the baby on the hands of this scalding red hot god and burn the baby to death. And the way that they drowned out, this, they would play drums, boom, boom, to drown out the screaming of the infant. Now, brutal. 
And he said, you know what? You're not to worship like them, and here's what their worship has done. And sometimes we look at that and we think, man, that's, you know, that's so sad. I mean, praise God we don't live in days like that, don't we? You know, when, we abort, when most babies are aborted, they inject a solution that burns the baby alive within the mother's womb. Why? Because of sexual immorality and because it's a form of birth control for many people. And sadly, it's the same thing. They were worshiping the God of, of Molech, the God of sex. People are worshiping the God of pleasure and sex today. They just don't have an idol to it. And then they destroy the babies in the very same way that they did. All, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Israel did not heed God's command, and sadly, they fell into Molech worship. If you were there on Friday morning, Pastor Bill talked about 2 Kings. King Ahaz of Judah gave his own son to Molech. King Manasseh gave his son, offered his son to sacrifice to Molech. Later, Israel was worshiping Molech, and it led to the captivity at the hands of the Assyrians. And even King Solomon built a temple to Molech. What happened? You get your eyes off of God, and anything can happen. Amen? Take heed lest ye fall. Stay desperate for the Lord. Last verse. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Praise God for that. Amen? We don't need any more than the Word of God. The standard for worship is reflected in God's Word. Not human preference or opinion. We serve the, the only true and living God. And God's Word is in need of nothing. We don't need to add to the Bible. We need, we don't need, God doesn't need the help of man. We simply follow the word of God. So, in closing, one true worship. We come to God according to his commands, not our will. Whatever God says, that's, that's our standard. We're to worship where, not to worship where the world does. We're to remove the things that will take our eyes off of God. We come to the altar with a perfect sacrifice, a type of the cross. When we come to a place of worship, it's because we, of, of the atoning work of Christ, because of the confession, the cleansing work of the, of the blood of Christ. We come to give and to fellowship. So go to a place where you worship, where you grow, and where you give. That's true worship. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for, again, a word written thousands of years ago applying to every single life in the room tonight. Help us, Lord, if we have high places that need to be torn down to remove them. Help us, Lord, if there's areas where we're compromising our faith or we're not just being proactive and making you first in our lives. Help us, Lord, to, to seek you first, to put you first above all else. Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're a great and awesome God. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.